text this morning comes out of 1 Kings 18, and um, you can track that down for a minute, but um, uh, as we begin this morning, (laughs) um, could we talk? Um, I've got some great news for you. The... uh, Property values, real estate values around here are sky high. They're up. Boy, if you want to sell your house, um, this is the time to sell it because uh, the property values are really up. And and I think we all know why they're up. Um, Very simply, it's schools. Um, People are clamoring to get into this area um, because of the schools, the best in the county. Some of the best schools in the county are in Germantown and Kyerville. And people are uh, giving a good deal of thought, um, um, trying to figure out um, what's best for their family, and, and they're going to some extremes. Uh, because they, uh, the thing that is at stake is um, the education of their children, which, of course, we all agree is a vitally important, uh, important issue. And, and those of you who uh, choose to go to the, um, the, <clears throat> the private school route, <clears throat> then not only do you have to um, come up with some real focus you got to come up with some real big bucks. Now, guys, um, I, I'm sure you know that the education of your children is a, is a prime purpose and goal over here, too, uh, here at Gracie Van. But we don't seem to give that quite as much focus. Um, We we don't focus on that part. Far less thought goes into um, their spiritual education than goes into their secular education. How do I know that? Um, Because every August... It's like pulling hen's teeth to find people who are um, just as focused on the spiritual education of our children as they are on the secular education of their children. Um, Our kids, uh, you know, they got to be taught reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yes, they do. But the queen of the sciences, theology, um, understanding of and exposure to the truth of God's word, um, studying in the school of Christ, um, not so important. 
we, um, we give it kind of an indifferent nod. Um, the focus is not there. The willing to sacrifice is not present. Guys, this ought not be. We go to extremes to obtain excellence in their secular education. And we will even pay big bucks. But then when it comes to their spiritual education, We have far less willingness to make any sacrifices. How did we get that, to that? How did we come here? You know, guys, I don't, by the way, I, I don't know what we would do without a couple of handfuls of people who are devoted teachers and teach every year and have been teaching for years. I don't know what we would do without them. I'd love to mention your names, but I'm so afraid I would leave one out. So there, there, there is this handful or maybe two handfuls of teachers who teach every year, year after year after year. We applaud you. But let me, um, let me close with just a little story, and I think it's a true story. Um, I don't know where I read it, but I, it, it's, I've read it years ago. But it was about a young woman, a 20-year-old college co-ed, in whom it was discovered that uh, she had an inoperable brain tumor, cancerous brain tumor. And so they sent her home basically to die. And on her deathbed, she said to her mother, Mother, you taught me how to sip champagne from a crystal, from crystal stemware. Mother, you taught me manners. You taught me how to behave in every social setting. But mother, you didn't teach me how to die. Guys, we're not back there teaching your kids how to die. But we are back there teaching them what it means to live and how they can prepare for eternity. That has got to be far more important among us than it is. Um... It, 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 it defies my ability to explain why we will go to incredible extremes to educate our children in history and literature and mathematics and science and not demonstrate at least an equal zeal for the health of their souls. I, I hope you'll give that some thought, guys. Um, there, if you are interested, there, there's still, I don't know, 25, 27, 28, whatever it is, uh, spots that need to be uh, addressed. And um, there will be somebody in the, in the lobby that will um, 
take your questions. And, um, but, but just know that the real issue, at least in my mind, is the, uh, the urgency of teaching, teaching our kids or having our kids be students in the school of Jesus Christ. And that's what that, that, you know, 250 kids. That's the size of a small Christian school. <laughs> every, every Sunday we have them here. And, um, oh, but Dr. Young, that means I'm going to have to leave my Sunday school class. Yep, that's what it'll mean. Compared to the souls of our kids. Oh, but Dr. Young, I only come one hour. I had to skip worship. Well, think about coming two hours. I mean, um, Mama, you taught me how to behave in every social setting, but you didn't teach me how to die. Let's get back there and teach with urgency. Guys, I think most of you know that my text is not, uh, is not Psalm 23, but I've used uh, Psalm 23 as kind of a springboard uh, to other texts in the Old Testament. Um, Psalm 23 is a fan favorite. Everybody loves uh, Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, the, the, the Shepherd Psalm. Um, and, and I don't blame you. It's a wonderful psalm. It basically is a collection of of uh, kind promises that God has made to his people. Uh, it's wonderful. But one of the, just half of a verse, verse 5, um, half of a verse um, makes a statement that caught my eye, and we've been looking at it for the last couple of months at, for communion, and this will be the last time, but um, the statement is, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so what I've been doing is trying to show you some or track down some illustrations of that in the, in the Old Testament, in these stories. And I found another one, and I want to read you. This is, my, this is my text. It's out of 1 Kings 18. It's only six verses, so you follow as I read. Beginning at verse 1, we find these words. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them in the fift, in, in, by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we can find grass and save the horses and the mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them uh, to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this, this word, this endures forever. Guys, um, I, I think you know that Elijah springs onto the scene, the great prophet Elijah springs onto the scene in chapter 17. He springs onto the scene by announcing a drought, a God-ordained drought um, in the northern kingdom or Israel um, that it is not going to be broken until uh, he says so. Now, then we come to um, 
chapter 18, after this drought has been going on for about three and a half years. Do you know how I know it's three and a half years? Because Jesus mentions it in Luke 4, saying it was a three and a half year drought. So for three and a half years, the, the skies have been brass and the, and the earth is turned to iron. Uh, as a result of this drought, Israel has become a desert. Now, do you see what's taking place in our text? This guy, this new guy, his name is Obadiah. His name means a servant of Yahweh. Obadiah, from the inside, he, you notice he's the, he's the head of the household, uh, uh, Ahab. Remember, Ahab and Jezebel are still king, uh, king and queen, and uh, they're the one, they're bad. And, and, um, but he is one of the uh, officials in the uh, kingdom, in, in, inside the house of um, <clears throat> um, Ahab. And Obadiah is, is running uh, an underground movement um, to try and feed prophets of Yahweh. You see, there's, there are other prophets of Yahweh in Israel, but they have all become guilty by association. Association with Elijah. Because it was Elijah that Israel blamed for this terrible drought. And so as the drought worsened, people got madder and madder. Um, you know, we've been, we've been looking for rain around here for three and a half weeks. They've been looking for rain for three and a half years. And they get madder and madder all the time as, as, as this drought continues. And so anybody that's associated, any colleague of, of Elijah is hated and hunted. And so Obadiah, um, from the inside, it takes a hundred prophets of, of Yahweh and hides them in two caves, 50 apiece. And he feeds them bread and water. Guys, he's risking his life to do this. This is, um, if, if Jezebel were to ever find out what he's doing, he's a dead man. And yet, there again, God has set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You know, if, if Ahab and Jezebel had their way, they would have stamped out all of the religion of Yahweh. But as you know, um, it was Ahab and Jezebel who ultimately got stamped out. And, and there, there is one more scene in the life of Ahab and Jezebel where um, this same kind of thing happens. It's in uh, chapter 22, at the close of Ahab's life, you remember that? It's very similar to this 118. There's a room full of the prophets of Baal, and there's one faithful prophet. His name is Micaiah. And so they're trying to figure out whether we should go to war at Ramoth Gilead. And, um, and notice um, in verse 12 of chapter 22, and all the prophets prophesied so and said, uh, go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. That was the false prophets. And there was one guy. His name was Micaiah. And Micaiah said, go ahead, because you're going to die. And that infuriated Ahab. And, and you'll notice uh, in verse 27, as a result of this, this, this prophetic utterance, the king says, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. 
Well, as most of you know, Ahab does not return in peace. He dies on the battlefield. Um, and as far as we know, Micaiah spent the rest of his life in a prison. But there in the midst of his enemies, in a prison, God has provided once again a table in the, in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> over and over again, guys, I've, I've shown you five or six of these in the last three months. God has kept that promise in Psalm 23, verse 5. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We, we fast forward up to, um, up to our present day, and um, the rule of wicked kings and presidents still plagues the earth. And uh, the enemies of Christianity, Christianity abound. In fact, Islam would love to see Christianity completely stomped out. And yet the promise, the promise of Psalm 23, verse 5, has been kept. Uh, he has set a table before us in the presence of his enemies. Uh, it's a different kind of table. But on it is set every piece of sustenance the soul could ever want as represented, as symbolized in bread and grape juice. And of course, you know to what these symbols point, I hope. They point to the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 23, verse 5, is that God has set this table before us in the presence of our enemies. <laughs> Guys, I guess the lesson is this. Every promise God has ever made, he's kept. The big ones and the little ones. He feeds a hundred prophets. He feeds Micaiah. But then the big promise, that I will provide something that will meet every need of your soul. He kept that one too. How did he keep it? He found a way to save us through the death and sufferings of Jesus Christ. And that is what we celebrate this morning. Let me, ladies and gentlemen, outside of Jesus Christ, there is only spiritual drought. But at this table... On this table is life, eternal life, a faithful God keeping his grand redemptive promise and providing for a bunch of unworthy people like us everything that our souls need. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let's enjoy that together. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, meet us here, that um, we will walk away with a sense that we have been in your presence. But ultimately, Lord, if, if nothing else, might the gospel be clearly seen in these two elements that tell us all over again that the only way to be reconciled to the God of heaven is not through merit, 
It is not through works. It is not through performance. It is through a relationship with this Savior, Jesus Christ, who spilled his blood and whose body was broken for his people. Now, Father, as your people, we come to feed all over again on that great gospel message. Meet us here for Jesus' sake.